Let's just pray before we get into this uh, tonight. So, Heavenly Father, I thank you. I just thank you for your presence. Father, thank you for being such a good dad. Thank you for sending Jesus to make a way that our hearts and our spirits and our whole beings could connect with the Father. And Holy Spirit, we welcome you to awaken our hearts. We welcome you to convict our hearts. We welcome you to stir things up inside of us so that, we, God, we will not live the same way that we came in living, that we would have new, fresh perspective, and that we would live a life of passion, of consistency, integrity moving forward. In Jesus' name, everyone said. Amen. Amen. So uh, here at Res Life, you know, Access is the young adult ministry of Resurrection Life. And so if you don't have a home church, we want to welcome you. Come, on, come with Sundays. Come with Sundays. Come on Sundays with us. Sit with us because Thursday nights is not church. Uh, Thursday nights is a ministry for young adults. It's not necessarily a, it's not a whole church experience because you can't have a church experience with one age group. You need, you need generations. And so we want to invite you to Sundays. But I, I say that because we're part of Res Life Church. Our, our, our vision statement, our, the heartbeat of Resurrection Life Church is win souls and to make disciples. And if you come to, to Res Life for any, any length of time, you'll know that every service, we do something at the end. It's an altar call. And every single Sunday, you'll see people giving their lives to Jesus. And, it, it, and I love, and I'm not, I'm not hating on any other churches, but I know that ver there's very few churches that make the call for salvation every week. And I'm just so happy to be a part of a church that really values, uh, really values uh, the, the, you could say the casting of the net because that's the most important thing, you know, to, to, to know that you have an everlasting and eternal life. So it's when souls make disciples. And this is what I've said. I feel like um, the reason I brought a chair up here, I kind of forgot that I brought one. I feel like this is more of a, it's going to be less of a preaching for me, and this is more of a, a talk that I want to give you from my heart. And so just to help ground me, I brought a chair up here. <laughs> so I'm not like running around spitting on everyone like usual. Um, and uh, so the, the heart of the church is when souls make disciples. But what I've been sharing recently is it, that's, not the, that's not the heartbeat of our church. That's the heartbeat of the people in our church. And that if, if, if you're a part of Resurrection Life Church, I encourage you and I encourage all of us to own this vision. Win souls, make disciples. That means that we're not, we're not depending on the church to, to, to lead people to Christ. We're not depending on the church to provide models for discipleship, but we take ownership and we say each one of us are people who win people to Jesus. Each one of us are people who reach out and disciple other people that need help. And then it's not, hey, come to church and you'll get part of a table group and then your table group will support you for the rest of your life. That, I mean, table groups are amazing, but it's the personal responsibility that changes a culture. It's when everyone plays. It's when everyone says, yeah, our church's vision is to win souls. No, it's when everyone says, my mission is to win souls and make disciples. It's when the vision goes from Rez's vision and it goes to your mission. And what happens, what can happen in a body of Christ when, when a group of people rally around a mission is there what's called unity. And where there's unity, it says the Lord commands a blessing. It says the Lord commands a blessing. 
And so my, my, my challenge to us is to take this phrase, win souls, make disciples, and to own it and take it to the Lord. And ask him, lead me to people that I can, that can share Jesus with. Lead me to people that I can, that I can disciple and, 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 and lead me in my own journey and bring mentors to my life. And so we're in a series called Move, and it's about getting, the, the, getting encouraging us to get off our butts, stop being lazy, and start doing the things that Jesus is calling us to do. So the first week we talked about the simple uh, movement of obedience, and last week we talked about hidden movement, the most important movement that we can have. And I want to encourage you, if you didn't listen to those, to go back and uh, catch those on the podcast. But the, the verse I want to start with today is Matthew 9, if you have your Bibles. Matthew 9, 37 through 38. It says this. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. You know, that Jesus, Jesus modeled to his disciples what prayer looked like but this is the only time Jesus ever asks his disciples to pray for anything. So this man, Jesus, the only time he ever asks for help is when he says, guys, I need help. Please pray with me that people will get out of their chairs, get out of the pews. Please pray with me and intercede on behalf of the world that people will stop keeping their faith to themselves. P pray with me that people will get their eyes off of their own lives and start living for a greater purpose. He's saying, guys, please pray with me that we'll stop making it about ourselves. Please please pray with me that that, that, that courage can start rising up inside of you and you can take the courageous step Step of talking to your brother, to your to, to, to your coworker, to whoever's in your please pray with me that the workers will be sent out into the harvest field. And he's not just talking about missionaries, he's talking about believers. It's the only time. So I got this statistic from what's called the send. With, which is a which is a really an event that happens. Um, they just started it last year, where they gathered sixty thousand people into a stadium in Orlando, and it was with the heartbeat of mobilizing the church. And this is a statistic that they found. Um, it said if every Christian in America would lead one person to Christ this year, a third of America would be saved. I'm letting this sit because so many people put their faith and their trust and they put the, their chips that they're holding into politics. Yeah, if they only could just, we can only get the Senate, you know, to be, we, we can only do all these things and we can get all these bills passed and we get all these things passed and we can get reform in the inner cities and reform in our, if we can only get free college, if we can only can get all these things that we push for politically and we fight tooth and nail to get, if we only, if we only had all these, these things that would happen in America, then, then our inner cities would be, then they would, they would get help. Then, then the colleges would be reformed. Then, you know, all these different things would happen. And the reality is, is the personal responsibility of the church could solve all of America's problems today. And the number one tool of the enemy is, is distraction. And he loves when the church gets so bogged down in politics. 
He loves when the church gets so bogged down in church politics. He loves when the church gets so distracted by, by, personal, by personal, uh, personal pursuit of pleasure. The devil's like, I'm not afraid of a group of people gathering in a church building. I'm not afraid of that. What he's afraid of is when we realize that, it, like it says in the book of Luke, is that the kingdom of heaven is within you. You see, the devil is afraid of when the body of Christ realizes that they are responsible for the condition of their cities. The government's not responsible. The Christians are responsible for the condition of our cities. I'll say this one more time. If every Christian in America would lead one person to Christ this year, a third of America would be saved. And that's just in the generation. You, you know, the, the statistics say that when you lead one person to Christ, it affects about three other people. It affects three other people in their family. So like the, 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 the domino effect that it could have is, 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 is exponential. And I'm going to read a passage from you uh, from 2 Kings today to you, and this is going to be the meat of what we're going to talk about. So I want to read 2 I was just tipped over there. If anyone saw that, I was like leaning forward, and I was like, whoa, I'm going to fall. 2 Kings 4, 1 through 7, if you want to pull out your Bibles with me. Before I get into that, though, 2 Kings 4, 1 through 7, three and a half years ago, I... I I started full-time ministry, <laughs> full-time ministry in the church. Listen, you're, I'm going to, I claim and, 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 and ordain every one of you as a full-time minister. <laughs> every, like, you don't clock in and clock out of your Christianity. But when I started working for the church three and a half years ago, when, when Pastor Tom Smith came to me and asked me to, to consider interviewing for, for this position as the pastor of Access, I first said no. I said no because I was so sick and tired of seeing so many Christians who never shared and owned their faith outside of church. I was just so, I saw such a need everywhere, and I saw so many people walking by other people. I saw so many people unconcerned with other people going to hell, and I was like, I don't want to go to church. I want to be out in the real world. I want to be out where there's real need. I want to be out where I can, I can rub shoulders with people who don't know Jesus. I don't want to be stuck in a building full of other Christians. That was my heart, a little bit immature, <laughs> a little naive. But I think the heart of what I was feeling was, was pure. And I got into ministry and, and I realized how distracted I got with going through the motions of ministry, going through the motions of life. And what really drove me to say yes is I was praying about it, is I saw and I felt the Lord commission me in a sense in my heart. I felt him put a burden in my heart to, to equip and to inspire and to challenge the church to live every day as an ambassador of Jesus. I almost felt it was like my long term, like what God has placed me on the earth to do is to stir up the church, to stop making Christianity about church, about service, 
and stop making our Christianity about ourselves. And not that I'm the only one that can do that. I just felt that was, it's such a passion in my heart. And I was talking to Mike last week, and we were talking about this passage, and I wasn't planning on speaking on it, and we were talking about it, and then I knew I had, had to share this. So it comes from 2 Kings 4, 1 through 7. It says, The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha. Elisha is a prophet. Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of oil. Elisha said, Go around and ask all of your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. Like, think, like, can you picture what's happening right now? It's a total miracle. But he replied, There is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. This is an amazing story. It's a real account. It really happened. This woman who's a widow, her husband dies. He has debt. The, the owner of the debt comes to him and says, I'm going to take your kids as slaves to pay off your debt. So she goes to the man of God. The man of God says, what do you have? It's such a profound question that I think we can all consider when we feel like we have nothing and we go to God and God says to us, what do you have? See, because God never considers what you don't have. He never considers what you're lacking. Well, I didn't have a dad. Well, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Well, I was abused as a kid. Listen, listen, I have empathy for everyone who grew up without those things, but God is not considering what you don't have. He'll heal those things, but he's not going to leave you in, in he's not going to he's not going to work on you in what you don't have. He works on us in what we do have. What do you have? She says, I got this jar. So she's like, she's like, I got, <laughs> I got a jar. Like, can you imagine like a jar? It's like made of clay. Like it, it, it's, it's not anything of value. And he says, okay, go get a bunch of more jars. Get as many jars as you can find. So you can imagine her sending her sons, going door to door, finding jars, getting collecting all of these jars. And, and, and you, you can imagine how what people were thinking of her, like, what the heck are you doing? Why do you have, why do you have uh, all those jars? What's going on with all those jars? And, and, and you can imagine how weird it might have been, but she did it out of obedience. And then she brings the jars back home, and she starts point, pouring oil into the jars. 
She starts pouring oil from one of her jars into the next. And it's kind of like the, the, the time when Jesus multiplied the food, the fish and the bread. Like uh, they just kept handing it out. And, and, and so you can imagine pouring oil. And then this little, this little small jar of oil starts filling that one up. And then she continues to, to, to pour. And it continues to fill the next one up. And you can imagine going down the line. And she's just like, whoa, <laughs> like this is amazing. Like, this is incredible. It's like those magicians, you know, the ones that when they have, like, the water in their hand and they're, like, pouring it out, and you're like, how the heck is this happening? I bet you Nick knows how to do that. He's a magician. He, re he really is. I'm not joking. He's a street magician. You can imagine her pouring, and it keeps coming out and keeps coming out and ke until she gets to the And then she's like, you can imagine, she's like, go get more jars. Like, go get some more. Come on, stop, to go. And they're like, we don't have any left. And it says, it's a profound statement. It says, as soon as there were no jars left, the oil stopped flowing. The oil stopped flowing. So I believe that we all have situations in our lives that are similar to this gal's story. And, and I'll bring it around to the emphasis of what we're going to be really pointing at today. But we all have crisis in our lives. We all have situations that, that, that arise in our lives that seem like such a mountain in our life. It's walls that come against us. It's situations that are staring us in the face. Fire that seems to be burning us. What's the crisis? And what I observe here is that Elisha, when talking to the woman about her crisis, he tells her to focus on something that has nothing to do with her crisis. And he asks this, what do you have? He says, what do you have? What do you have? You see, because when we're in crisis, we focus so much on what we don't have. When we're in crisis with family and relationships, when we're in crisis with money situations, when we're in crisis with our emotional stability and our depression, when we're in crisis with all of these things in our lives, Jesus is asking us, what do you have? What do you have? Do you have a testimony? Do you have some relationships? What do you have? And then he doesn't just say, what do you have? He then gives an assignment to her and says, go around and look for empty jars. So he first says, now what do you have? And now he says, now go do something. And so many people in our lives, we sit in this position of crisis and we, we wait for God to do something. And God's saying, what do you have? Now do something with what you have. And most of us are like, well, it, it'd be just way easier if God would just fix everything. And, and God's like, that's not how it works. God's saying that I want to do something in you. I don't want to do something for you. I want to do something inside of your life. So like, I want to do something in you that's so powerful. But it takes movement. It takes obedience. It takes taking what we have and putting it to work. I can imagine the, the woman like, 
She's like, empty jars, Elisha. She's like, okay, Elisha, stop, 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 Elisha. My sons are about to be sold into slavery, and you're telling me to go find empty jars. Yep. You're telling me I have no money in my bank account. I'm, I, 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 I've been struggling with depression for two years. And Jesus, you're telling me to sit in my room and worship for two hours. Yep. I have debt. I have all these things. I have broken relationships. I don't have enough time. I don't have these things. But you're telling me, God, to go serve my family after all of what they've done to me. You're telling me to go and serve my dad, even though he was never there for me. You're telling me to go and sit with him and talk to him. You're telling me to forgive him. It's exactly what I'm telling you to do. But I need help with my money. He's like, go talk to your dad. You see, because the problems that we face are often never the problems that God's really trying to fix in our lives. Does this make sense? You want me to go find empty jars. That's not going to solve my problem. That's not going to pay the bills. God, you're, you're telling me to tithe when I don't have enough. Like, I do not have enough money to tithe. And he's saying, do you trust me? I'm a young adult. I only work 24 hours a week. I'm in college. I have to pay for my gas. I have to pay for car insurance. I have to pay for this and that and the other thing. And you're telling me to tithe? And he's saying, oh, if you could only see what I see. If you could only see what 90% blessed looks like. If you could only see what 90% blessed looks like. It looks way better than 100% with what you can do because you wasted on Starbucks. Whoops. <laughs> and we're getting there, we're getting there. And really what God is trying to do in these situations is he's trying to move our priorities. He's trying to move our priorities. You see, because in crisis, we never... In crisis, we don't usually have correct priorities. But in crisis is when God actually rearranges our priorities. And so my encouragement to us is that no matter what season we're in, is to keep God's priorities at the top of our list. So you ask, I'm not going to assume that all of us know God's priorities. And so I'm going to talk about one of those things for the rest of my time. Hey, guys, if you could actually put a timer for like uh, 10 minutes, mm. 10 minutes. Who thinks I can make it in 10 minutes? <laughs> I only have one person who has faith in me. All of you are probably more. You've been around. <laughs> and already wasted four, 20 seconds, so... Moving our priorities. So this is where I want to focus in on for the rest of my time. You all right, man? Is it your first time here? Second time? Four? That's embarrassing. Do you, usually, do you normally sit up front? Oh, my gosh. That's terrible. <laughs> hey, Vicky, when you're, when you're uh, editing this, take that part out, okay? <laughs> What's your name, man? Landon. Landon. Nice to meet you. 
I like your Jordans. I like your Jordans. They're still white. How long have you had them? How long have you had them? Dang, and they're that white? Do you clean them? Dang it. Okay, crap. They haven't even started. Look at They haven't even started it for me. Thanks, guys. God's priorities. Okay, we're back on track. So the... So God has, that God has a lot of priorities. I talked about last week about hidden movement, and I would say that's the number one priority of Jesus is for us to have a relationship with him that no one sees. That's the number one priority. We talked about that last week. I'm not going to talk about it again. The, the next priority is what we call in church the Great Commission. And Jesus came to them and said to his disciples, he had just risen from the dead, you can imagine this is like the last thing Jesus says, right? And he's going up into heaven, the last thing. And he says to his, his best friends, he says, and Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And this is what it says in Mark 16, 15 through 18. Another account of that same message that he spoke to his disciples. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. <laughs> I love that verb. It's not even just, it's like, speak it to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. I don't understand that. But, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. So would you agree that, like, can you imagine, like, your deathbed, and you imagine if you've ever had a grandparent who's, who's dying, and you get to be next to them, and, and they say something so special to you at the end, and, and they have this recollection of their whole life behind them, and it's like this moment of, like, this is the last thing that they'll ever say. This is the most important thing that they'll ever say. This is, like, this is it, and this is Jesus's last words as being in flesh on the earth, and he chooses to tell us this disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Healing the sick, casting out demons, picking up serpents, and promising that even if they drink deadly things, they won't be, they won't be killed. This is the weight of that situation, is that these are his last words. And my, my challenge to us today is to shift our priorities into having a heart for the lost, to having a heart for the unsaved, to, for having a heart for our family members who are going to hell. Because it's, gee, it's so important to the Father's heart that he sent Jesus to die on the cross so that we would not have to perish. Evangelism is so close to God's heart. Caring for the lost is something that Jesus prays for constantly. 
He's praying for lost people. He's praying for those who don't know him. He's praying and saying, please, Holy Spirit, convict them. May their eyes be opened. May their eyes be opened. May their eyes be opened. And, and my fear in our Western Christianity is that we're so focused on our comfort that we've lost the priority of going after those who are going to hell. We've lost this urgency to see the people in our lives come to know Jesus. I've, I've sensed in myself and in those around me that we are kind of indifferent about those who don't know Jesus. And that we're almost afraid that if we bring up the topic of Jesus or Christianity and we stick our foot in the ground and say there is only one way. And if you do not have faith in Jesus and who he is and enter into relationship with him, you will spend eternity in hell. We're afraid, and I sense this fear of political correctness, that we're afraid to hurt people's feelings. But what we don't realize is that while we're not hurting their feelings, we're walking their hand to the gates of hell and handing them off to Satan. And I'm here to, to give us an urgency to say, just from a, a standpoint of not carrying the burden of saving everyone who's lost, but to going to the Father in the hidden movement, in the secret place, and to saying, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. To reprioritize our life, to go away from our budgets, going away from our careers, going away from our friendships, going away from the drama, and saying, Jesus, I will place secret history for, with you, number one, and I will, place, I will place having a heart for the lost as the second most important thing in my life. It's what Jesus came to do. To seek and to save that which was lost. Reprioritize our life to the Great Commission. I'm going to keep going in that story about just reprioritizing our life with the, with the widow. So she brought all these jars pouring in, right? Pouring in, pouring in, pouring in. The, and so what you got to know about the Old Testament is that oil always represents the Holy Spirit. Oil represents the Holy Spirit. So in the story, what we can see, it's a prophetic declaration of the New Testament church. It's a prophetic declaration of your and my life and the Spirit's movement in our life. And what the point is, is that as soon as the empty vessels stopped coming into her house, the spirit stopped moving. Do you get it? That as soon as we lose a heart, as soon as we lose heart and burden for the lost people in our spheres of influence, as soon as we lose that, the Holy Spirit will stop moving. And if church, if church is not a place where empty vessels, lost people can come in and meet their creator and meet their savior, and we, we, we're more of a social gathering and we're more of a, we're more of a preference-driven society and church, if, we're, if, we, if we only care about, yeah, the worship style, oh yeah, it's just not my favorite. If we're more driven by preference than by presence and seeing empty vessels filled, I promise you Holy Spirit will not be flowing. The Holy Spirit will not be moving. And that's why I am so 
happy and so proud that I am in a church, that I am in a body of believers that values when souls make disciples. That every Sunday morning we see a call for salvation for those who are lost so empty vessels can be filled with the Spirit of God. And what happens is, is that it's not just a church thing. My encouragement for us is to imagine it. So I'm going to stop here. Pause. I, I just saw my notes here. Why don't you put the picture of that, first, that picture, first picture up? This is the Dead Sea. You have the picture or no? No? Bummer. So uh, the Dead Sea, if you're familiar with the Dead Sea, it's, it's, a, it's a body of water. It's in Israel, right? It's in Israel. It's a body of water. I had to go to Mike. I'm like, going right at him. He, he has the answer. It's a body of water in Israel. And what do you got to know about the Dead Sea? Is that it, it, it's, a, it's a, in a sense, dead body of water. It has no streams or rivers flowing out of it. And so the concentration of salt is so dense that you can actually go into the Dead Sea and you'll float because of how dense it is. Who's seen a picture of that before? Raise your hand. So it's so dense, it'll just float. And what the picture is, you can imagine someone sitting in the Dead Sea, floating on top of the water. You see, where there's no flowing and movement of the Holy Spirit, you can never go deep. Where there's no movement of the God's Spirit in a body of people, we can never go into the deep places of God. And the way that we keep the spirit flowing and moving in our, in, our, in, our, in our churches and in our own personal life is by having a burden for the things that burden God's heart, which are lost people, which are unsaved people, which are the, friend, the brothers, the cousins, the aunts, the uncles, the grandmas, the grandpas, the neighbors, the coworkers. You see, what I'm not calling us to do is to go Bible-thumping people after tonight. <laughs> right? What I'm calling us to consider is that when we go into the secret place, when we go and get alone with God, is to start asking him to give us a burden for those lost people. Is start asking him to give us the words to say, to give us the courage, and for him to bring empty vessels into our life. You see, I'm not, gonna, I'm not encouraging us to just to go start praying for everyone. What I am encouraging us to do is say, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Break my heart for what breaks yours. And what we see in the story of this widow and Elisha is that if we will listen to the commands of God, if we will listen to the words of God and, and place his priorities in our priorities and keep these empty vessels coming into our life. And now it's not our, responsible to save, our responsibility to save people, but it is our responsibility to give the invitation. Now I want us to imagine I want us to imagine, sorry, I'm going to skip that for time's sake. I want us to imagine what it would look like on Thursday nights if we asked, how are things going? How are you guys doing? How was your week? Imagine a day when you ask that and eight out of ten people are like, man, my cousin is on the verge. My cousin is on the verge of giving himself to Christ. And the next person you go to, my coworker, he came to me out of nowhere and just asked me 
if he could come to church with me, so he's coming with me on Sunday. Man, my dad. I've been praying for my dad for six months. And I was able to talk to him, and he, and he called me for prayer. Imagine a day when eight out of ten people you talk to had access, not to impress each other and to one-up each other, but a deep burden for the lost people in our lives. There's a constant, there's a constant uh, testimony of lost people who are being filled with the Spirit of God. There's a constant testimony of empty vessels who are coming to know Jesus. There's a constant testimony and a burden, not just by the altar calls, but by the people in the seats of people who are going to hell saying, we will pray and pray and pray, and we will have the hard conversations because we care about those who do not know Jesus. We will not shut up until every person knows and has a relationship with the God of love. And what happens is that once we have that collectively, individually, the Spirit will start to move in your life like never before. Revelation will come. Your Bible will come alive to you. And then what happens collectively as a church is that the Spirit will start moving in ways that we could never predict. He will start moving powerfully because God moves in the places where, his, where the people mimic his heart. He moves in those places, and my encouragement to us is to consider who in our life needs Jesus, and not to go Bible thump them, but to pray for them, to pray for them every day. I've shared this multiple times. I have for myself what's called my most wanted list. It's I have a list of people who are the people that I pray for on a weekly basis. I pray that their eyes will be open. I pray that they, God would send people in their life other than me that will, that will plant seeds. And I pray, I pray for their heart that they would be saved. And I'm going to share this. I wasn't planning on it. But if you know my cousin Kyle, and I, I'm sorry to put you on point. I'm blessed. <laughs> Kyle's my cousin. He's playing keys tonight. I'm sure he'll share his testimony at Access someday. But I prayed for him for over five years to come to know Christ and to enter into that relationship. And how long ago was it? 15 months ago. And I'm telling you, that's not me. I really had no, like, no real role in, in his coming to Christ. But I prayed for him. And I have another friend on my basketball team that I prayed for for three years who never, who he did not grow up knowing Jesus at all. And he came to me one day and he said, Jake, I'm going to share this. This is raw and real. I was having sex with my girlfriend and I got done. And the, this, this weight came on me. And, he's, and it was just, I had to get right with God. I officiated his wedding a year later. And I'm telling you that when you carry a heart for God, that, that, that when you carry God's heart for the lost, not take responsibility, but to have a burden and a consistent prayer life of caring about things that God cares about, 
I'm telling you, the story of, of Elisha and the widow shows it. He will take care of you. He will meet all of your needs. It says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. All of these things. So who's on your most wanted list? Who are the people in your life? And will you commit to praying for them on a weekly basis? Will you commit to praying for them that their hearts would be softened, that their eyes would be opened, and that they would enter into a relationship with Jesus? And then ask this, God, I ask for an opportunity with them that I can share my faith with them. And here's my next challenge to you. If you're going to pray that, okay, we need then to be prepared to walk with someone in how to give their life to Jesus. So this is your assignment if you so choose to accept it. <laughs> is that if you're going to pray for people, then, you, then we have to go into the Word. You can do research and look up YouTube videos too. There's a lot of creative ways to do it. But do your own research in how you're going to lead that person to Christ when they ask you. And if you'll be prepared, if I'll be prepared for that, and do the persistent praying and interceding on behalf of our people in our lives. God will be faithful and he'll find us trustworthy to be a part of that journey. And then we can bring him into the family of the body of believers, bring him to church, get them connected. We win souls and then we make disciples. Would you guys just stand with me as we close? So the first, I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes. I'm asking you to hold your hands out just like this. Just, out, just hold your hands out. And Alex, if you could play just some of that, that track for me, that'd be awesome. I'm going to ask us just to go into a, into a personal prayer with, with God. I'm going to ask you to Ask him to give you the burden for the lost. Not the responsibility, not the weight, but the heart, compassion, and urgency. Just repeat after me in a, in a whisper. Say, Father God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Don't repeat after me, but just start whispering something to something like this. God, just thank you for saving me. <laughs> thank you for saving me. I didn't deserve this. It wasn't my idea. But God, your love and grace reached down and invaded my life and saved me. You saved me, God. God, give me the urgency. Give me the urgency. 
the courage that I need. say, God, teach me, teach me, teach me how to pray for my loved ones. Teach me how to pray for my coworkers. Teach me how to pray for them. Just start saying this, bring empty jars to me. If you want those empty jars, just say, God, bring me empty jars. Bring me empty vessels. Bring me the lost people, God. Bring them to me, God. And even though I may not know what to do, bring them to me and I will pray for them. Bring them to me, God. And I will love them. Move in our hearts, God. Move in our hearts, Jesus. Reshape our priorities. reshape our priorities. Reshape our priorities, Jesus. Break our heart for what breaks yours. Break my heart for what breaks yours. you're starting to feel that burden just as an act of, of or almost like a declaration that we can't do this on our own if you are going to accept and shift priorities and you're going to take that invitation to partner with God in praying for those lost people in your life. If you're gonna do that, even just for one person, I'm gonna ask us just to take a knee and bow. And if you're gonna, if you're making that decision today to bow, bow, and what we're saying when we bow is that we can never save anyone. And that God, you our salvation and that Jesus is the only way he's the only way to eternal life so Holy Spirit we just welcome you right now God, Holy Spirit, clothe us with power. Clothe us with humility. 
Clothe us with perseverance. Clothe us with compassion. And if you can, even start praying for those people right now. Start praying for those people right now. Those people in your life. Pray that their hearts would be softened. Pray that their eyes would be opened. In, in the Corinthians, it talks about how the, the devil puts blinders on people's eyes so they can't see the goodness of God. So we rebuke you, demons. We, we, we rebuke you, devil. And we tell you to take the blinders off their eyes. Take the blinders off their eyes, Jesus. God, I ask that you soften their heart. And I ask that you place people in their lives who will sow seeds. Holy Spirit, I ask that you convict them of their sin. Holy Spirit, I pray that you chase after their heart, that you will, you, will, you will invade their life like a good father, and that you will show them that you are not religious. I break the spirit of religion off of all those people. And I, commit, and I ask in the name of Jesus that even right now, every person that's being prayed for, that there would be a divine urgency, a divine feeling, and a divine just, just tug on their heart and their life to go and find the people in this room. I just feel this really strongly that there's, that there's many of the people that, you, that, that are being prayed for right now have been burned by the church and by religious people. And in and, and, and spirit of religion, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. I command you in the name of Jesus to get off those people, get the blinders off their eyes so they can see the true Jesus, the true Savior of the world who gave his life for them. Now, if you feel like you just need some, cur some courage, some boldness, that would, if, if they were to ask you, that you'd have the words to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray a prayer over us right now, that the New Testament promises that when we are placed in front of people who, who, who we're intimidated by, that the Holy Spirit will give us the words to say. So Holy Spirit, I thank you that you were within us and that you're our teacher. And I pray for everyone in the room right now that there is gonna be multiple people who are gonna have those conversations even this week and, and maybe in this next month, there are multiple people who are gonna have these conversations. And I pray, God, that your spirit bring the words to them, to bring the scriptures to them, to bring the, the comfort, to bring the, the, the conviction, to bring everything that's needed for them to see the true Jesus. Everything that's needed to see their need for a savior. Holy Spirit, bring those words to us. Bring those words to us, Jesus. And that when the, when the time comes, when the time comes where we have to say something that will offend them, that we will not back down. That God, that you give us the courage to say the truth and not allow people to keep walking off a cliff unto their death, but we will stop them and say, turn around, turn around, where you're heading will kill you. And that Jesus, you, 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 you burden us and you give us your heart, God, and you give us your strength. Holy Spirit, clothe us with power. 
Holy Spirit, for those who, who need a, a miraculous touch in order for those blinders to come down, I pray that miracle signs and wonders flood into those situations. God, whatever's needed, make it happen. And we pray, God, that we... God, we ask that you just give us the perseverance to stick through it, to not be distracted and keep your priorities at the top of our list. I can't make this stuff up. One of the guys on my top 10 list just texted me. He just texted me. Get them, God. Get them, God. Give them dreams tonight. Give me the courage, God, to speak the truth, to be unashamed of the gospel, and to be the light of the world to everyone around me especially those who know me best. <laughs> Shift our hearts, God. In the secret place, not just at access. Shift our hearts every day care about what you care about most it's your people we love you Jesus and God you are salvation Jesus you are the only way you are the only way Jesus if you're here if you're here and you're not and you're not right with God. If you're here and, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, and you're living your own life your own way, and you feel a tug on your heart to get right with God, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand on the count of three, and we're just going to pray. And Jesus is going to meet you here tonight. So one, two, three, just raise your hand if that's you. I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand. Come on, I see that hand. God sees you right where you are. He loves you, and he's ready to start doing this thing with you. You guys can put your hands down. So we're just going to repeat this prayer. There's no magical words in this prayer, but it's a prayer from the heart. So just mean it. Speak from your heart. Say, God. Everyone just repeat it after us. Say, God, thank you for forgiving me from all my sin, all my rebellion. Thank you for sending Jesus pay the price for me and for rising him from the dead 
that I could have relationship with the God of all creation. Holy Spirit, I invite you into my heart right now. Reshape all of my priorities. Change every part of my life. And today, tomorrow, and every day after, I live for you. I love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.